You're listening to Cowley's Instructor Podcast, where the learning never stops. Welcome to Cowley's Instructor Training Podcast, and thank you for listening. Um, so today we have a newly qualified ADI um, um, in Emma, and we're going to just have a little chat about your journey and, and see how you, you got to become an ADI. Um, so welcome, Emma. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's okay. So yeah, let's um uh just go through how your journey um started. I would say. So what made you want to become a driving instructor in the first place, and maybe a bit of your background before you were a driving instructor. Okay. So originally, I come from Norway. Um, my mom is a driving instructor back home, but that wasn't really an option for me back in Norway, just because I'd have to go to um to uni. It's like a higher education, and I never wanted that. So I came to England during COVID, um, wasn't really planning on staying for very long. And uh, one day I got like a slip through my post box where it was like, oh, do you want to be a driving instructor? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I do actually. And I started doing research and found out that actually I wouldn't have to do any sort of higher education or anything too complicated in order to get there. And I was like, okay, guess my dream is on. <laughs> I love the fact that some, someone just posted it through your letterbox and was just, and you were like, yeah, no, I do actually. It's good, good thinking, Postman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm fascinated by this, this, this idea that you have to do higher education in Norway and it's starting to make me a bit depressed about our training <laughs> system. Um. So what, what, how does, how does that work? I don't know if you know much about it, but I'm intrigued on how that, how that works in Norway. So I only know what I know from my mom, but it's basically two years. Um, and then you have to go through like teaching and the maths of it, the physiques behind it, you name it, they do it. So it's basically like a more in-depth of, of the skills we need. But actually looking at it now um, through the training that I've had, I do actually do a lot of things the same way my mom does. And then whatever I don't do, I always just pick up from her since she's already been there <laughs> yeah no fair enough I think that's yeah it's interesting because it is a teaching qualification and it should be treated like one um do they do practical stuff in it within that course then or is it just all, yeah. so it is practical as well um yeah it's fascinating the how like different countries do it and and maybe there's an element of if, if it had that sort of qualification mm -hmm. in, in this country it might be respected a little bit more maybe yeah yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, so how did you, how did you find your training, or how did how did your training go then? Um, I it was a little bit of uh, it had its ups and downs, <laughs> but overall, I found it really enjoyable. There were definitely things that were more complicated than the others, and I found that for me, actually watching other people do it made it a lot easier for me rather than being told how to do it because if I can't envision it then I'm like okay well I just don't know what I'm doing so I ended up investing in driving instructor tv use that a lot and basically just pretended I'm them <laughs> whenever I'm in the car I've been like hmm, what would they do and I feel like that's how I've learned the most I feel like that's the way that works best for me when I can sort of look and learn <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm 100% the same, actually. I, I, I whenever I want to be, like, improve or anything, a, a video uh, works better for me. And watching someone do, do like, an example of it is, yeah. is 100%. It's interesting um, that 
maybe we should probably do more of that for our learners mm. as well. I, I had a lesson recently that I um, did a little demo of roundabouts with a pupil who was actually quite competent, but it just pushed them to the next level. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's amazing how five minutes of watching can save an hour of <laughs> trying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you, so you had the little bit of that training. Who? So in car training. Um, how did your part one and your part two training go? Um, when when you did that. So I originally went with a big national franchise. Um, I did my part one and part two through them, and then once it came time to sort of consider my pink and stuff like that I decided that a smaller school would be better for me just because I felt like I needed a more tailored approach I didn't want to be just one of the many I wanted to be somewhere where I could sort of reach out and get the help that I needed when I needed it and um, sort of feel like I had that support for me specifically um, and yeah so that's how I I went about that and had a bit of in-car training enjoyed that but again, for me, the videos was definitely what brought me over the edge. So I mean, how did you find your a local trainer then? Because I, I I agree, and like I think there are pros and cons to both both systems. But I think a lot of people do like to go for this sort of more local approach, and and you've maybe got more of a personal relationship with your with your trainer in that situation. Mm. But how did you go about finding one? Because I can imagine you can go out and there could be two three bad ones for two three good ones um or not even necessarily bad and good it may be just they don't match your style yeah so how did you kind of go about that 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 finding a, a trainer honestly I um I googled and the first one I found I was like okay that's the one nice. <laughs> so good research I like it <laughs> it wasn't anything that I put a lot of thought into I was like yeah this is good <laughs> Fair enough. well it obviously worked out so, yeah. so. <laughs> it did <laughs> Can't, can't can't be too bad a, a method um yeah fair enough um so your training then went so you went to so part one part two with with the the big franchise then moved on and got your other training you had a little bit of like the the videos mm -hmm. how did your trainer find that because i'm intrigued on that like whether so i use driving instructor tv and go green with my trainees um and it matches my style of training so i never have that sort of kind of clash um however i'm intrigued to see how maybe that style matched your trainer's style and whether they were okay with that and and did that work yeah to be honest uh he was very supportive of it and with me doing it that way i was sort of hitting a lot of the competencies through what i'd learned from the videos and then what I had questions about or what I didn't feel like I was hitting was the things that I sort of brought my trainer in for. And I was like, well, how do I solve this? Or how do I hit this competency? Or even just like getting a different perspective, like hearing it from multiple sides and sort of choosing a middle ground, deciding what was best for me. I found that was really helpful. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, and I agree. I think people should source their information from from several places not just one and work out what what works best for them mm -hmm. and i think it's really even when you are using a package like go green or or something online that you need that in car training as well because it, it's one thing no it's why i kind of asked about your mum's training whether there was practical stuff because i think there's there's a massive element of that and i think having the understanding is fantastic but you've got to put it into practice and to put it into practice you kind of need someone to either coach you through it or mm -hmm 
at least say yes you're doing what you what you think you're doing or going well you know it you can talk the talk but you're not quite walking the walk yet yeah um so yeah definitely a finding that that mixture of of training quite quite interesting and, and I like that sort of kind of just bringing in lots of stuff yeah um so moving on then uh you you I think you mentioned earlier you went on the pink yeah I did um so how did you find those first few lessons first few weeks of like real learners in the car terrifying honestly I thought I was prepared for the unexpected let me tell you I was not <laughs> the unexpected is actually really unexpected <laughs> so I found it quite intimidating in the beginning and I definitely had uh my pride knocked down a little bit I went into it thinking like oh well I'm a good driver so I can I can easily teach girly could not <laughs> but I think once I sort of got into the groove of it and once everything stopped being so scary and once I got a bit of experience with the unexpected I think I was able to adapt quite quickly and very early on I did decide like I was going to be the best like I don't do things halfway so in order to be the best I had to put in the work and through putting in the work I got a deeper understanding so but the first few weeks were uh, they were rough <laughs> really rough <laughs> yeah I remember my first few weeks and I, I was also in a city that I didn't know like I, I knew I knew it from like to go to the shopping center yeah but I didn't I didn't know the side road so I was not only scrambling around trying to teach these people to drive but also had no idea where I was most of the time and just getting yeah. lost <laughs> um it's interesting how there you mentioned a few times like the unexpected and actually yeah I suppose that is probably the hardest part of those first few few lessons of their the they just yeah they really can't drive yeah it's not it shouldn't be surprising because they're here to learn but <laughs> you're just like oh no you really can't do that yeah uh yeah I've always find that quite interesting and then we talk about with with training being proactive and, and preventing these things but I think that's a skill in itself noticing when to jump in yeah and, and you start to pick up on the clues that your learners aren't a, going to do something a lot sooner with experience so it's, it's a it's a hand placement on the steering wheel or a, where are they looking something like that just tells you oh you're not going to do this right and then yeah. you can jump in um, and it takes a bit of experience, I suppose, to do that. Do you have any funny stories from those first few lessons of where it really, like, it went pitong, basically? <laughs> um, I think the first one that comes to mind, um, and it was actually one of those where I was like, okay, this is not the job for me. Um, but we were driving, and she didn't really have any issues with left turns. So we'd done left turns and went quite well, gear changes, everything. She was quite good. Um, and then we did right turns instead and started off really well. And then halfway through the turn, as she was straightening up, she ended up in the opposite um, lane. So onto oncoming traffic. And I didn't expect it at all. And she didn't either. And rather than going for the brake, she went for the gas. <laughs> so I went for the steel steering wheel and kind of forgot about my dual controls because I was like oh my god we're gonna die now <laughs> but essentially the other driver um was quick so it went okay but that was the first and probably the last time where I was like no this is when we're gonna die this is it for us oh, I'm sure you'll have I'm sure you'll have some more in the future <laughs> uh, <laughs> they happen but you do get better at handling them it's an interesting thing there because actually that's something um I do a session on dual controls before I let you guys loose out in the road 
Um, and that's one of the things I always train quite heavily is because your instinct when a pupil goes wide mm -hmm. is to grab the wheel, but actually, or even to towards the curb as if you're going to mount the curb, mm -hmm. so they're either oversteering or understeering, the instincts to grab the wheel because it feels like a steering positioning problem, but actually the, 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 the best way to react in that scenario is to stop the car yeah. because it's going to yeah or at least slow it down so you've got time to correct the steering yeah but yeah that real fast <laughs> if you're still doing like 30 miles an hour steering is not going to help in that scenario so um particularly if they're accelerating yeah that's um yeah did you teach automatic or manual or manual manual because that can happen even more so in an auto i think they hit the wrong pedal and we're just we're flying down the road yeah uh, yeah that's a bit a bit scary so scary. with <laughs> yeah with your training then um or your process becoming what did you find the most challenging where did you get stuck um I think risk management was for me the most difficult thing and I also really struggled with adapting the lesson in the beginning because when I was reading through the competencies they were all so big so like I understood the wording of it, but I didn't understand what it actually took to hit them. So when it came to adapting, I thought, okay, like I, if I need to adapt, that needs to be the whole lesson changed. Um, but it can actually be something as little as answering the questions or just adapting the route a little, having around and looking for like a speed sign. So once I sort of figured that out, that um, I sorted that out quite quickly once I just got the key behind it, whereas risk management, I think for me, maybe with my age as well, um, and teaching people who are a lot older than me, sometimes I feel a little bit um, hesitant when it comes to like telling people, oh, maybe we shouldn't do that, or maybe we should do that um, differently. Because I was like, well, I'm just a kid, what do I know? Um, and then I've sort of learned that actually, I do know uh, enough to be training people. So I do actually have to to speak about it and what you said like being proactive rather than reactive and I think still that is something that I need to work on but I'm trying I'm trying so hard <laughs> oh, that's, that's yeah I, a couple of interesting I think actually you probably nailed on what a lot of um, PDIs during their training um, struggle with uh, the adapt ad, like adapting I think absolutely you're right where where it's it doesn't have to be this big deal it can be a sentence and you've adapted the lesson mm. um so absolutely looking at that the yeah the risk management is interesting that you were saying about uh, being younger because i i qualified when i was 22 and so i had the same thing where uh, i had a lot of pupils who were older than me i had a lot of uni students at the time so they're all similar age as well so but there was yeah there was this i'd only been driving for three four years and and it, yeah it was like who am I to be doing this sort of kind of um feeling um I do suffer from massive overconfidence so I was fine yeah. <laughs> so I, I powered my way through with my overconfidence um so the but yeah it's interesting and, and you get that sort of imposter syndrome uh, um I'm guessing and yeah and you learn over time don't you sort of just kind of go actually you know I am right <laughs> I should say this did you ever have and it might be on a similar sort of note you were talking about sort of like I, I spoke sort of identifying a fault really and saying you need to try it differently mm. um did you ever have this sort of kind of because I've heard this from PDIs before where it's like feels like you're almost you don't want to be horrible you don't want to be mean by telling them they did it wrong yeah um yeah and I find that quite interesting because again I think actually if you flip it round you're probably being nicer to tell them Absolutely. because 
they're going to be upset when they fail their test or or have an accident. Mm. You know, we never told me to do that differently. So in a way, you're being. So I suppose it's cruel to be kind, isn't it? And you don't have to be cruel at all. But you you can twist it into a nice positive way. Um. So how did you overcome those challenges? So it sounds like with the um adapting one, you overcame it by just reading and understanding it a bit better, and you and you got a better understanding. But how did you overcome the um telling people what to do? <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> I think it was just, I think I just realized I had to, like, it wasn't something I could choose away. It was something that I absolutely had to do in order to keep me safe and in order to keep them safe. And I think for me as well is the fact that I'm actually dealing with people's babies. <laughs> so if I want to keep them alive, I do need to take my responsibility and my responsibility as well as teaching them how to drive is also teaching them how not to drive. And I think once I sort of got my head around the concept of the whole being cruel to be kind, um, it just sort of loosened things up for me. I learned to give a a decent shit sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, The... Okay, fair enough. And, and so, when when you were going for your training, because I'm intrigued in this sort of like, because you obviously did quite a lot of like self self awareness and self analysis. Did did you sort of kind of like I don't know, maybe decide that on the weekend, like like I need to sort this out? Yeah, how did you spot it was a problem in the first place? Actually, That's, I'm intrigued. I I think just because I was drilling myself on the competencies, I felt like I could hit most competencies quite easily. Um, and that way, it was very clear to me which ones I didn't quite hit. And even if I didn't quite hit them, um, I knew, like, this is where I can improve. So I sort of just worked my way by trying to hit the ones that I didn't hit. And then that kind of snowballed and ended up with me only hitting them once. <laughs> and then I sort of just had to to adapt for myself. Like, I sort of treated a lesson for my learners as a lesson for myself as well. And whereas I'm giving them learning opportunities, there's also so many learning opportunities for me and staying in the silence and sort of having the time both for them and for me to sort of reflect on on what we've just done or what's just happened. And yeah, just figuring it out, really. I like it. And I like I like the way you've sort of used the competencies to guide your training in a way. Um, not necessarily as a tick box and tick tick box exercise, um, but picking one and going, I'm going to nail this one today. Um, and you and you you mentioned there how the other ones then kind of go out the window, and that absolutely happens. And it's about practicing one until it feels natural, then adding the layer on the other ones, and they will go up and down, but eventually it all sort of kind of comes comes up together. But yeah, it's a really um good way of going about it. It's sort of t- like questioning yourself against those competencies mm. and picking ones like your focus for the week maybe that sort of kind of thing is really interesting way of going about it yeah and I think also when I saw that it worked um like when I adapted my teaching methods and actually seeing that either they learned way quicker or we were able to have better conversations with them reflecting rather than me telling it was sort of like you're not just being told to do something but you're actually seeing that what you're being told to do works and that's the goal so once I saw that, things started going a bit more smoothly. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, so before we move on to your your actual part three, um, is there anything you'd wish you'd known before you started your training that you now know about the industry? 
to be honest, I do feel like I had um, a decent understanding because when I first reached out to my nat national franchise, I was only 21, so they wouldn't let me start just yet. So I sort of took the time to to um, study and figure out what I could do, both about the industry and, and just about the job in general. But I think um, one of the things that I'd probably like tell myself <laughs> is the fact that sort of setting firm boundaries in the beginning will give you a reward because if you're too kind um it really just ends up making you miserable and probably doesn't make it really good for your learners either so I think I think that's one thing that I wish I'd known more about <laughs> when I first started that's fair enough yeah it sounds like you did your research and I suppose you had your mum as well to have a, a knowledge of how the like training pupils would go even though it's a different system mm. um so let's move on to your part three then, because I think people will be interested to see how how that went and your and the story of your part three. So, um, yeah, talk to me about your part three first of all, just in general, and we'll we'll dig a little bit deeper as we go. Okay, so originally I had my first attempt uh, booked in July, beginning of July, and then a couple of days before it was meant to happen, it was cancelled, <laughs> and then I got a new date for twenty eighth of September. Um, so coming up to it, I just use my resources really I put in notes in my car and everything to make sure that every single lesson I was hitting at least most of the competencies um and really just looking at what I did and if that was the best way of doing it um but yeah so studied a lot the week before I uh honestly didn't sleep I dreamt that I brought the wrong learner. I dreamt that I went to the wrong test center, that the examiner didn't show up or that I overslept, you name it. I dreamt it. <laughs> um, and then when I finally saw the examiner on the day, I was like, nah, I'm going to vomit now. Honestly, I felt so sick. But I think for me, I know that I'm not very good with tests. I hate being assessed. I don't like being watched. Um, so I knew that I wasn't going to do my best work. So my goal was to make sure that on a day-to-day -day basis, I know everything so well that when it goes pear-shaped on my part three, it's still good enough. And that worked out. <laughs> Fair enough. Did you um, do any anything like in, like specifically for those nerves? Did you like seek any training around anxiety or anything or just your normal way of hand handling these things? I mean, I cried a little. <laughs> I called my mom a couple of times. I told her I was going to give up, <laughs> but I'm not a giver upper. And I think like I've always known, like my goal is to be the best. And if you want to be the best, you can't give up on your first attempt. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have to put my big girl panties on and get through it. Fair enough. Is it? Yeah, it's it's kind of how I how I'd go about it as well. Um, yeah, and I was just intrigued because obviously. And and I like the the concept of increasing that competency so so that you decrease the nerves. And I think that does I think you can be really competent at the job and still nervous, yeah. definitely. Um, but I think if you're not competent at the job, you're gonna be even more nervous. So I, I definitely think that's a great technique for for reducing those nerves. And there are also sort of plenty, I'm just more thinking of other people who might be in the same boat. There's plenty of people out there in the industry who can help you with like um techniques to sort of kind of help you in those moments um of nerves i know i when when i last did my standards check um i 
I don't know why, but I got nervous. Um, and the and I and I employed some of those sort of techniques that I'd learned from those people. So I think it can be like just breathing techniques and things like that um, can be quite helpful in that scenario. Um, but yeah, it is terrifying when that when that examiner first sort of comes and say, says hello, isn't it? Yeah, um, it was nice. <laughs> <laughs> and that but yeah they're really friendly well i found that certainly my um examiners around our area really friendly they do try and put you at ease so it isn't this big scary person they want you to do well they want to sit in and, and see a good lesson so they they do try and put you at ease yeah and i think so, for me as well one thing that i sort of was keeping in mind was the fact that obviously like sometimes you see your learners fail and you're sort of like asking them to get back up or they can do it or you're prepping them for tests and you're like trying to manage their nerves and I just sort of felt like okay I sort of have to set an example <laughs> like I can't just be telling and then not doing so I, I had them in the back of my mind <laughs> yeah and I think yeah you're right you give all that advice out to your learners and it's yeah just apply some of that to yourself absolutely i think that's that's probably generally in life the, the advice you give to friends is harder to, to take for yourself isn't it <laughs> um so how did you choose your pupil um for your part three so my learner was actually the first one that i took on board when i started my pink and i think i knew the first week that i wanted her to be my learner and she's had some bad experiences with tests in the past. So I also was thinking that I wanted a learner where it could benefit them because that way I would be able to take the focus out of me and think, you know what, this is going to be a good experience for them. I have a responsibility to make sure that they're comfortable. And um, yeah, she's very competent. But again, she's just had bad experiences in the past. So I figured she could benefit from it and that way take the focus out of me a little bit. <laughs> selfishly <laughs> fair enough and to be fair it should be actually if you make the focus of the of the lesson on the part three not you or on onto the pupil um you're probably gonna have a good lesson that that's that's what it's about it like as much as you're being tested you're being tested on making it about the pupil so yeah that's no, a, a good concept so you said about how on her, your first lesson with her you almost knew that what was it about that that lesson or, or that pupil that made you think this is my part three pupil she's just fantastic honestly she's so good at reflecting um easy to sort of have conversations with she has a lot of knowledge and she's able to fix her faults quite efficiently as well as long as you put focus to it so I figured um I wanted someone that I didn't think would fall apart because if they fell apart, I would fall apart because <laughs> I was already falling apart. And I needed someone that I I thought would be confident enough to to sort of handle it. Like I didn't want to overwhelm my learner. And she sort of hit that little checklist that I'd set for myself right away. And I was like, oh, I hope she's available. And she was. Nice. So yeah, I, I love that. So it's like that rapport and um you do just you know your pupils you know the ones and 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 pick from that pool I think it's probably <laughs> you normally have two or three pupils you're like yeah these are these are the guys that I want to take out with me so what how did you choose uh well first of all what did what did you do for your part three what was your topic um or a goal and how did you come about getting around to that so our original plan was to do uh, planning and awareness, specifically eye scanning, sort of looking to the sides and around rather than looking far ahead. 
um, but we did actually have to adapt. Um, it had been a while since we did have a lesson, so we ended up having to look at mini roundabouts, and we had a few hesitation faults there that we managed to fix. So uh, on the actual thing, it says junctions. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but that's good because it's good that again you did adapt, and it sounds like from what we were talking about earlier that it was more a big adapt this time. It wasn't like a. a to, I'll just incorporate this into my lesson. It will. It was like let's move on and let's go and have a look at go and have a look at these. So that was quite good. But how did so when you chose the eye scan in? Mm. How did you come about choosing that as you were going to go? Like when when was that decided and how was that decided? So that was one of the things where she'd had a big gap and then we'd had one lesson before my part three, and that was what I remembered she had an issue with and. I just sort of wanted to confirm that that was still relevant on that lesson that we had, which it was. So I then talked to her about it and wondered if, if she wanted to work on it and if she felt she needed to work on it, which she did. And I think we just came up with it because we did have a situation once where a pedestrian was walking up to the pedestrian crossing and she just missed it because she was looking too far ahead. Um, so we really just wanted to get those sorts of effective observations in and sort of seeing not just what's happening in the road but also on the side of the road yeah um it's interesting and, and it, it sounds like you've gone about it in the correct way of just it's what the pupil needed um not what you wanted <laughs> to teach um there is I, I do think there is sometimes an element of well, you should be able to train anything but there's also going to be limitations of what you can teach from the test center in 40 minutes mm. um what you and and again i would also be inclined to if if you've got a particular thing you're not a fan of teaching don't go and do that on your part three yeah uh, because learners don't just need one thing that's the other thing so yes there might be a need for one thing but there might be a need for something else so as long as it's, it, it is needed and you're not forcing it on the learner mm. you can tweak that for you a little bit um, but then however like it sounds like it happened on your part three that it doesn't matter because it could all go out the window two, two seconds in and, and you, you end up doing a completely different um, yeah. <laughs> subject so and that, and that's crucial and that's why it's so important to make sure that your training is up there that you can adapt and you can teach whatever needs to be be taught mm. um, in that situation so I'm intrigued by this because we you mentioned about adapting being a thing you you struggled with and I think it is some, a thing that a lot of um, PDI struggle with so what happened on the part three to make you think, right, this is something we need to go and have a look at versus I'll just have a conversation about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to a mini roundabout and we had the right of way and she ended up completely stopping for traffic on our left. So I tried to sort of talk her through it and it just ended up going a little bit pear-shaped, to be honest. Um, but we got moving again and we had a chat about it, asked her if, if she felt it was something that she needed to work on. And she was like, yeah, actually, I think I need a bit of a refresher. So we went and had a look and sort of broke it down into little chunks, sort of who to look for and why it might be more difficult with the mini roundabouts because they're not necessarily coming from the right. They might be coming from straight ahead and actually putting that into work. And yeah. She, she did great well uh, yeah look, yeah i love that and i love the fact that it's that that conversation after the mini roundabout quite often decides that 
whether you're going to go and adapt because it sounded like she had a lack of skill or, or understanding a little bit so that to me says yeah let's go swap mm. um whereas if it was just like a I don't, my mind just went blank actually that might be a let's go and have another look yeah test that out and she and then she nails it and she goes yeah i get it now i, I, I brain fart moments or kind of thing um and i think that's really important that you don't just when when you're in these scenarios you don't put black and white answers on what you're going to adapt and when you're not going to adapt mm. um because it a lot of the time is it is about why why the situation happened and if it is just a a brain fart moment you maybe just need to go revisit it yeah. but if it's uh, actually I, I don't get this why like <laughs> I, I don't get it i don't understand then it might be let's let's pull over and have a quick chat and and, and then reassess what we're, what we're practicing mm. um do you think that calmed you down a bit actually maybe the, the mistake happening because you just then went into instructor mode no that <laughs> sent you through i was like oh no <clears throat> this is like my worst fear and it happened within the first three minutes of it so i was like this is it i failed now I was honestly, I went into a full fight or flight, I think. And I just went on complete autopilot. Like, I don't remember a lot of the things that happened on uh, the part three. I remember the examiner was asking me about certain incidents afterwards. And I was like, Ugh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know it, but I survived. <laughs> I've seen I've seen plenty of PDI have that that staring at the examiner face. Yeah. Old stuff and, and it's yeah it's why I like to sit sit in with my PDIs either watching the lesson or at least on the debrief um because I know that in that moment it's it's so hard to take in take in information um so (laughs) this this is ironic because I'm now going to ask you what what was that examiner feedback (laughs) you can't remember at all um so yeah how, how did that how did that go did you take anything from the examiner's feedback yeah I took so much Honestly, my goal was just to survive my part three. It didn't really matter if I passed. It didn't matter if I failed. I just wanted to survive it. Um, and I afterwards, I was pretty sure I had failed, actually. Um, I didn't have a good, uh, a good gut feeling. And there were things that sort of occurred during my part three where I was like, okay, well, I know I should have handled that. And I didn't. Um, but I just decided, like, the examiner is the one that's going to know what they're going to be looking for so I was like I'm just going to take whatever he says on board and a lot of the things that he brought up were things that I'd already discussed with my trainer where I knew I had weaknesses so such as being more proactive than reactive and and things like that and maybe digging a bit deeper which actually I normally feel like I do quite well but he just stressed me out (laughs) I kept seeing him in my mirror I was like oh my god he's there and I sort of didn't dig, dig as deep as I probably normally would have. But yeah, he gave me some really good feedback where I was like, yeah, this is. And it also aligned with the things that I already knew, which was a bit of a relief for me, because at least that way I know that I am sort of picking up on the things that I need to work on, even by myself. Um, and he gave me some good examples and I've tried to put it into use. Oh, I need to know those examples now. I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, so we had one incident where there was a bus uh, a bus pulled over and I sort of started a little bit late with my Q&A um, regarding, um, you know, how long have they stayed? Do you reckon we're going to need to hold back? And we sort of ended up stopping when we didn't necessarily need to. And he was like, just when you see it, start questioning about it. Because obviously I see it way before they do. And I'm thinking about it. I'm just not saying it. And those are things that I know I need to work on anyways, because a lot of the things uh, I'll see, I won't necessarily say. 
And for me, what's actually helped me with that is where you've probably heard of see it, say it, sort it. That hasn't really made sense to me. So what I've done is see it, say it, then handle it, whether that's going to be how they're going to handle it or how I'm going to handle it, sort of put that into use. And when I've started thinking about it like that, it's actually gone quite well. (laughs) I love love that because I think see it, say it, sort it is normally referring to fixing a fault. Yeah. So you you say the fault, you sort the fault. Mm -hmm. And and that's very retrospective, um, and I do, and which is why I don't overly train it, use it in my training, um. But I do like the the way you've twisted it around to being proactive. Like I yeah. see something ahead of us, I say say about it, and then we handle it together. Basically, I love, I love the fact you've turned that into a proactive, <laughs> a proactive thing. Um, I think quite often in that that bus situation is quite interesting because I think you can fall into the trap of wasting questions hmm. in that moment as well um the the, the t- classic one i i see people use is what lou walsh used to always describe as the toddler question yeah. of what what can you see ahead yeah. and literally my two-year-old could go bus yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's a waste of a question everyone can see the bus um it's about how are you going to handle that bus and getting those questions in or give me two reasons we're going to overtake that bus yeah. um in questions like that that get them thinking uh like you said early enough hmm. so by the time we get there they've decided whether they're overtaking the bus or, or holding back so yeah that's a good thing to sort of kind of be be practicing but i do like this idea of and and great from the examiner and this is what i think is so crucial to like maybe even ask, ask them if you can record it or whatever it's just like i don't know if they would let you but it, it, it's that information is crucial from the examiners because they're not trainers but they know what they're looking for and so they're great at sort of kind of imparting that onto onto you guys and um, and that sort of starting earlier is probably something that a lot of PDIs <laughs> need to do. It's, yeah. it's crucial. Um, and I yeah, I've not, I don't think I've met many PDIs that haven't needed that start earlier, talk earlier. Mm. Um, so any of anything else about your part three you wanted to discuss or moments that happened? No, to be honest, uh, like I said, I sort of blanked out. But when he mentioned those things, I was like, okay, that makes sense, and I could kind of put it into use but honestly my examiner was great and I think the thing about when you do the job is that a lot of the time you'll probably get used to doing things a bit wrong or not quite like you should do on a part three so actually having an examiner who doesn't necessarily have the teaching experience and can just objectively say what they're looking for I found was really beneficial for me oh, I like that so we're not seeing the examiners to scary people anymore there people who can offer advice it's still scary but they do offer advice <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah okay fair enough they are scary um yeah so um now you've qualified and I think you've alluded to this a little bit in saying that you want to be the best and and I love that attitude and I'm always um have the similar I think mine's like I and, and you may be similar to this and it just might be the way you're phrasing it I, I, I'm not like I want to be the best I want to be the best me is sort of kind of thing so because I can't control being the best because I don't know how good someone else is going to be <laughs> but I can be, I can be my best um and always looking for sort of kind of continuously improving in, in a way that's kind of why I'm doing this podcast because it's it's great to chat to, to, to you guys and some of the trainers um, but it's free CPD for me, <laughs> so that's great. Um, and and I've learned stuff listening to you today that I might go and put in with my tra- um, with my PDIs and training. So that's great. 
So what's next for you um, now you've qualified once you've settled down and it's, it's sunk in? Well, I am going to be the best, not just the best me. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be well, like in five years, I'm going to be up there with the best. Everyone's going to know my name. I'm going to revolutionize the industry. I'm going to make sure that every single learner gets a tailored, safe approach. I don't want anyone to have like a bad experience about an instructor. So that's the goal. And um, there really is no plan B. I'm going to be the best. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, I look forward to seeing that. <laughs> okay. I look forward to showing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's fantastic. Have you, uh, so I, I love the massive goal. Um, and have you, have you got a plan? Have you got a way, have you, have you started thinking how am I going to go about that? Well, at first, I'm just going to make sure that I'm the best I can be with my learners and make sure that I'm sort of giving them what they need, regardless of um, how they learn or when they learn. Like, I just want to be able to make sure that every single learner with me has a good tailored approach to themselves. Once I meet that goal, I'm probably going to start training instructors. Like, I really do want to do that. I want to make a difference. And I think also there's so much poor training out there. And I feel like a lot of the time it sort of gets drilled into our heads that we need to make a client-centered approach for our learners. But I don't always feel like that's the same case for us as instructors or as PDIs. And I think that for me is something that I'm really passionate about, about figuring out something that actually really works for us as well individually and not just based off of hitting the competencies or you know, based off of, off of the fact that you're a great driver, but actually understanding the depth of it, I think is really important. I love it. Um, yeah. And and it sounds like just talking to you today, it sounds like that, that you will be able to do that. <laughs> um, so, so definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. So, well, thank you for, for coming and talking to me today. I've like, like, I didn't know your story before, before we chatted and, and I found it really interesting. So, um, yeah, thank you very much. It's been lovely. Cowley's Instructor Podcast, where the learning never stops.